Sir, Commander Skywalker hasn't come in the south entrance. He might have forgotten to check in. Not likely. Are the speeders ready? Uh, not yet. We're having some trouble adapting them to the cold. We'll have to go out on Tom Tom. Sir, the temperature's dropping too rapidly. That's right. My friend's out in it. I'll cover section 12. Your Tom Tom will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. This is Cheap Seat Reviews. Uh, it's a little known fact that I was in Star Wars. Darth Vader plays his hand. That uh, it needed to be a giant diaper. Hello, and thank you for listening to Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. The greater good. Nice. Nice. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, good. Uh, this is episode 371, and tonight we're talking about Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. We are in week two of our three-part Star Wars trilogy uh, um Whatever, whatever the word I'm looking for. Series? Series. I wanted to yeah. say phenomenon, like but that. that's not know. the right word. Uh, phenomenon's definitely not the right word. Um, trilogy, well, it I guess. it was back then. You're right. That is true. Ooh, that's a different voice than what we're used to hearing. I guess we'll find out who that is in just a second. I am Sean Allred. In fact, if I was ever going to give myself a middle name, it would be I am Sean. I apologize. <laughs> I'm sick. Yes, you can still get a cold even though we all wear masks. Allred. Oh my gosh, I have a cold. I'm sorry, my voice is going to sound weird. But God, you sound like trash. I know. I <laughs> I feel like it. Like garbage in which heat has been applied to. Yeah, that's that's I, me actually, right now. Actually, you don't sound that bad to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Well, good. I mean, as long as I don't sound as long as I'm not unlistenable. That's not a word either. Well, that is And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Yeah, yeah, I thought they sounded bad on the outside is what we're, we're going to be tonight. Uh, joining me tonight is Andrew. Just don't kiss your sister, Jimison. You know, I, I know we'll talk about it, but my gosh. I, this, this one moment in this movie is, even when I was like 12, I thought to myself, God, Lucas really had no clue where the story was going when he filmed this scene. Uh, that's the one. That's yeah. the one scene that I feel like, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. But, well, they, uh, they drop enough yeah. hints in this movie to let you kind of know that maybe he had an idea, but you're not wrong. It's still kind of weird. Yeah, I, I stand by my statement on the last show. Yeah. Uh, so if you're one of those people that thinks I'm nuts, you fight me. Yeah, you just got to find him in his little bat cave where he is with his new glowy microphone. Yeah. Yeah, like legit, his microphone is a nightlight. It's actually kind of cool. I might screenshot it's it later. It's orange. Uh, <laughs> is that orange? It looks red to me. It's it's oh. a reddish orange, yeah. It looks orange to me. It's it's basically, to me, it looks like Darth Vader's lightsaber if his lightsaber was the size of a Coke can. Well... <laughs> <laughs> My Schwartz is as big as yours. <laughs> well, let's see how well you handle it. Also making his cheap seat reviews, not also, but making his cheap seat reviews debut is Randy. Other than to just irritate Luke, why did he have to crash on Dagobah? 
from the Soundtrack Alley podcast. And that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, welcome to the show. Because he had to. Yeah. He had to crash land on Dagobah in order to find Yoda. Yeah. I... I you, I know that these are Star Wars movies. Like you have to, there's a suspension of disbelief. I mean, on an entire planet, right? Like that's the one thing Star Wars does is that they make planets seem way smaller than they are, right? I don't think so. Oh, I've always thought that. Like the Clone Wars, it's like, all right, we're gonna send one one ship to go attack a planet. You know what I'm saying? Like in in when in even in Phantom Menace when they go to attack Naboo, right? They send down one battleship with a handful of, like, like and they take over a planet. It just <laughs> like me saying like like it, it either Naboo is way less strong. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like the size of of Charlotte where I live. You know, it just <laughs> I, I feel like there's enough rednecks in my town right now that we could have risen up against those droid army. I'm just anyway. Not the point. The point is is that. Well, the droids did shoot better than the stormtroopers. They do so. shoot better, but it, you would have a better shot, better chance. I still against, think. Uh, I still the think that there's enough rednecks and within the sound of my voice right now that we could have, uh, we could have overcome. <laughs> no, I just, I just, it was an, it. The only part of that, I know the point. Like, he has to crash land. He has to have some adversity. He has to be frustrated so that when he le- meets Yoda. He can have all these moments. Like I understand why the script told him to, but like that's the best part of the movie. One like, of the best parts of the movie is on that planet. You're not wrong. Again, you're not wrong. It's just it's kind of weird that like he's this really good pilot. Like we've established he's a really good pilot, except on this one planet, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like none of his instruments told him there are trees in front of you. Like pull up. You know, <laughs> just. His, his Where's backup, my GPS? Exactly. His backup camera <laughs> didn't work or his whatever. But Andrew knows all about that. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, off, off air joke. So, Randy, thanks for joining us, man. This is, uh, this is fun. Yeah, this is going to be a blast. Uh, one of my top five favorite movies of all time. So, Oh, wow. Throwing it out there early. I like it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of my top five. I mean, I can I can name you all all my five. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do it right now. We're we're here. I'm going to put you on the spot. What are the, what are the other five? Or the four? Top five. Well, is Empire is number one. Oh wow! And then, uh, yeah, it is. And then I've got Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. All right. Um, Crawl, <laughs> The Rocketeer, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Waterworld. Wow. Your list is actually not that far from mine. I wouldn't put Waterworld in my top ten, but I do love it. Um, and I really loved your your um, your episode that you did on Waterworld uh, on Cinematic Sound Radio. Um, that was that was the episode that I listened to, where I was it's like, "Amazing! I got to get these two guys on my podcast." So, so yep. I did. I it's it. an amazing, amazing film, and the film score is just fantastic. I love it. And don't listen to Sean when he says it's not his top ten. It's like <laughs> I mean, it's like eleven. He doesn't Keeper. like say it publicly Keeper. because he knows people will judge him. I mean, like every time <laughs> someone posts on Twitter, like what's a movie, like what's a movie hot take? I always put Waterworld is better than you think. Or when someone oh, yeah. says, you know, name a movie that you like that a lot of people don't. I always put Waterworld. Mm-hmm. And there's almost always that one person that's like, yay, I'm with you there, you know, so. 
Um, and then I, I've, put, I've said this on the show before, but it's always fun to say. So I actually went with my family. We went to Hawaii the the summer after they finished filming uh, Waterworld out there in Hawaii. And so we drove down to where they had ju- they were finished, and the atoll, the the, the city, mm-hmm. was there in the harbor. So I got to physically see the atoll from you know, a distance of a couple hundred feet. But then you know, they built the thing, so like there it was. Mm-hmm. And so the production company sold it to a uh, a Japanese company, and they towed it across the Pacific and sunk it to be part of their reef, which is kind of neat. So that is yeah. That is pretty cool. Uh, that that I think that that probably did more good than the actual movie itself, but that's all right. <laughs> that's uh, all right. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Oh no, this is good. This is good. Uh, Andrew, please tell our fine listeners what is Empire Strikes Back. After the rebels are brutally overpowered by the Empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins Jedi training with Yoda while his friends are pursued across the galaxy by Darth Vader. Wait, what? That's not right. Yeah. There it is. Did you just... Hold on. Where did you read that from? Uh, I just read that from IMDb. And I read it in my... I read it in my... Uh, oh, in yeah. British it, voice. Is, it is my on IMDb. Star Wars bad guy voice. No, you're, Did you're, you know we have a uh, Indiana Jones connection in this movie? Besides the obvious one? <laughs> <laughs> what uh, yeah besides the obvious one <laughs> yeah what was the uh, what would the other one be the um admiral viet yeah or not viet yeah admiral viet he uh he came out of hyperspace too closely he is as stupid as he is clumsy or it's the other way yeah, around. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's as clumsy as he, he is stupid, stupid. yeah um, yeah. He was Donovan in The Last Crusade. And John Williams had the music of the Imperial March playing in the background when he first appears with Indiana Jones. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yep. Oh, that's cool. You want to know something else cool? Is there's, there's a deep, um, deep foreshadowing in the very beginning of this movie when they play the Imperial March in High Piccolo when the um, probes are sent out from the Star Destroyer. Uh So just so that we don't get messages on Twitter, it's General Veers is the one who... Veers, that's it. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. I was thinking of... I was thinking of the other. Well, every (laughs) time... Because he died too. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Whenever they said General Veers... No, Admiral Piet, he lives. He's in the next one. He's in Return oh, of the right. Jedi. Yeah, that's right. But when Veers, they kept calling him Veers. I'm like, that's that's Carol Danvers' name from Captain Marvel. <laughs> like, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, General Veers, prepare yeah. your men. Yeah, yeah. But the crazy thing, like we have, I I I never knew this until tonight when I'm watching. John Ratzenberger is in this movie. Like. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that either until <laughs> until this watch. I never knew that. That is so weird. Rebel Force Major Derlin hmm. is his name. But yeah, 
Uh, it's a cool. little known fact that I was in Star Wars. That's I can't do a, a Ratzenberger uh, impression. That wasn't bad though. That, was, um, that wasn't bad. Yeah, I appreciate. Yeah, that was good. No, I thanks. I, I have very little. Like Andrew can legit do a handful of impressions. I can do zero. So no, no, no. You do have a pretty good German. I can't do it tonight. It would hurt my throat so bad <laughs> if I tried. <laughs> the the yaw pigs in a blanket. But right now, yeah. <laughs> that's as close as it gets. Um. All right. So no, what I was I was back to the read. What I'm arguing is after the rebels are brutally okay. After the rebels, I missed the word after. After yeah. the rebels are brutally overpowered by the empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins training with Yoda. With Yoda, Yoda. <laughs> I I missed that part because I was like he wasn't training on Hoth. Like that's not right. But okay, I'm with you now. Yeah. Uh, I thought that, uh, and and okay, hold on. Just the fact that they name drop Boba Fett in the read makes me feel like Boba Fett's actually kind of in this movie for more than one line of dialogue. Yeah, well, going back to my random trivia from last week that I found, he was supposed to be yeah. a, a, a bigger bad guy in this movie, mm-hmm. and he from uh, from most Star Wars fans, he is the coolest person in this movie. He is. He has the coolest ship. He has the coolest outfit, except for maybe Bosk. I think Bosk is pretty awesome. Yeah, Bosk is neat. I mean, and IG-88 is kind of neat too, but like these are all characters that have been, their stories are cool because they're told later in mm-hmm. novel form and and um, comics, and, comics and, uh, and TV shows. Now, last week we bitched about and by we, I mean mostly me, but we bitched about some of the stuff that they changed in A New Hope. The one thing that they did that they changed in this movie that I really like, and I kind of feel bad for whoever was the original actor of Boba Fett because he now, oh. he, all of his lines have been overdubbed. Jeremy Bullock. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With the yeah, new... you actually see him on screen mm-hmm. uh, at one point. Oh, Not. really? Dressed as uh, Boba Fett, just as an mm-hmm. just like as a dude. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's the guy that when Leia, when Luke gets to Vespin, and Leia is screaming, "Luke, it's a trap!" You know, he's the one that's holding her and pulling her into. Oh, the... look at that! Yeah. He got his face on camera. Well, at least he'll still yeah. get re- residuals because they yeah. they went back and they they voiced over with the guy who was um, Django Fett in. Oh, man, what is his name? I can't think of his real name. They're going to make me look it up. Yeah, you're going to do it because otherwise I'm going to have to. Uh, but the guy who did Django Fett, who plays Boba Fett in the Mandalorian series, which is perfect because the age would is is like it's the he's the right played age. by Tamira Morrison. Perfect. Tamira yeah. Morrison, but it's a guy. Yeah, well, yeah. It sounds like a woman, but it's and it's perfect. He's probably it, South the African way his or... name is spelled. It's perfect Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, he, and their their kid Dak. Dak? Dak. Nice. <laughs> um yeah, and Dave Filoni has used his voice now in in pretty much every yeah. way possible in everything he's done that has to do with a clone trooper or uh, you know, Boba Fett or whatever it might be. Well, he did all of the voicing for all of the clones in the Clone Wars TV show. Well, um, and then I, I, I wouldn't. Smart. I couldn't tell that. Yeah, <laughs> but 
I just love that. Like, like I just think it's great that they're able to bring his story into to, to life in the Mandalorian show. And mm-hmm. I love the line when they're they're supposed to sneak into an Imperial compound, and he has to take his helmet off, and he's like, "Yeah, my face will be recognized." <laughs> you know, like no one else gets the reason why, but like we as the audience are like, "Oh yeah," because all of the troopers used to be you, so of course they would uh, they would recognize you, which is kind of neat. Um, all right. So normally Sam would be here. He's not here. He's in Wisconsin. He's visiting family. Uh, so, um, you suck, but that's fine. So since he's not here, Andrew, you get to lead off with your five word review for Empire Strikes Back. Okay, uh, I have two. Best of the original trilogy. No, it's almost word for word what mine says. Sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, and then uh, number two, appropriate updates in this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, you we yeah, you did kind of complain about that. And I say kind of because it was, uh, okay, it was a lot of whining last week about the, uh, no, I'm kidding. It, <laughs> it was a lot of whining from all of us about the changes that were made, that George Lucas made to uh, all of the, the original trilogy. But... In this one, I'm not as offended. You know, I feel like the uh, the first time that it's really noticeable is when the little car, uh, the uh, not a car, the little ship is flying through Bespin, and you see the the city uh, a little more of what the city would would look like. It's and more I open. Think, yeah. yeah, and I think in the original we don't really get that view. It's um, just an so establishing We're looking shot. at it from the inside of buildings, maybe. Yeah, um, and so. And the other update to this one that I do appreciate, and I know that, well, you know, the OG fans probably don't appreciate it, but if you've, and I've only seen it once, uh, admittedly, I've only seen this one time with the original Emperor, right? Yeah. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And so I, it's hard for me to even remember, but I know that it it doesn't look as good. Um, and I think that using... What's his face, McDermott? Ian McDermott. Uh, Ian McDermott. Using him in the prequels, and then and then using him again uh, to update the uh, the the Emperor in this film. I think it's just appropriate. It it kind of melds it together a little bit more because I and honestly, there are probably people that would argue about it, but I think it's fine. You know, I don't see a big issue with it. It works. Yeah, I, I think it it's works. the one movie that they didn't change much enough. Like they they kept the original to its core to where you wouldn't have any problems really with it, the movie. I think if they had thrown in a CGI Yoda, that would have made me that would have that would have yeah. bothered me. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, I think you're 100% right. All the, the little add-ons that they did for this movie don't really affect much of the movie. You know, there's... I think they add a smoking... Um, like, as it's, it's crashing speeder once or twice in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the in the attack on Hoth. There might be a little bit more... Uh, uh, a few more extra shots in, in Hoth. But for the most part, the battle is pretty much the same... It all has kind of the same outcome. Nothing really changes there. Uh, the only edit that I, I also remember, and, and I might be misremembering this, but I thought 
And I again, I just don't remember. I know when when Luke falls out of the trash chute and lands on the antenna, and then there's a sh- a shot showing something falling down. Maybe it's his gun or something. I don't know, but something falls down to the sky to just say, "Hey, we're really high up." But for yeah. some reason, I thought when Vader cuts his hand off, we got a shot of the lightsaber falling down. Okay, no. so you're shaking your head. No, I could. I I was conflating the two because when it happened and it just disappears, I thought, well, maybe they didn't want to show a hand and a lightsaber falling down. But I, I have a sticker with that. With what? With Luke's hand and the lightsaber floating through space. Oh, nice. I have a. I have a sticker of of an artist that did it. <laughs> well, it is funny because my wife and I, we watch this. We watch a lot of these movies together. And my wife says, so how in the heck does his that lightsaber fall down there and then end up in the seventh movie in the basement of Maz's restaurant? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, literally. I never as, know. <laughs> as I was watching it. Uh, I think I watched this in two parts because I just couldn't yeah. in one sitting. But uh, as I watched it, finished it last night, uh, it was at that scene. And uh, I did have that thought in my mind of, all right, is Maz here now? Is she like wandering around There's... Bespin in the in the trash compactor? Like, Hey, who knows? <laughs> she could be an employee of Lando Calrissian. Yeah, she is yeah. really old. Um but like even in in the Force Awakens, I think someone she says, old. "Well, they said in the Force Awakens she's been running this watering hole for a thousand years or something like that." So I mean, she's really old. But like I like the idea that, um, because she even says in the movie, you know, someone says like, "How did you find this?" And she's like, "That's a story for another time." It was like, "No, we want to know that story. That sounds really <laughs> interesting," you know. And maybe Disney Plus Plus one day will. Will give us a you know a, a ten minute short on the the story of the lightsaber and how she was able to come come by it. I think that'd be kind of fun to do, mm-hmm. um, like one of those uh, that starts that Star Wars visions that we were talking about before. Oh show. yeah, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Randy, those those are really good. Have you watched any of those, Andrew? Those Star Wars visions? I've seen. I think the first three or four. I think four, we have I, talked I, about oh, this before. I, the yeah. n- the ninth Jedi is key. It's it's so wonderful. Good. Oh yeah, it's that one's really really good. Yeah, the ninth Jedi is by far the best in the entire nine episodes. Was it Jedi Master Bates? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke from last week. Did you? Oh, okay. did, yeah, that yeah. that definitely made the uh, the intro cut. By the way, Andrew. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, you know I had to. Uh, all right. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Randy, do you have a five word review for us? I I have two. All right. First, Darth Vader plays his hand. Oh, nice. There's a pun for you. I like it. <laughs> did there. Nice. And then, second, finally, some answers. Just kidding. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I remember watching this the first time and being pissed. And you're like, wait a minute. This, this is how it ends? You know, mm-hmm. it's just because when you're a kid, you're like, I don't quite, I didn't understand that there was another movie. I just remember watching yeah. this with my dad going, that's how it ends. And he's like, yeah, you'll find out tomorrow. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, I felt like I was watching Dune again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's. This was better. This was yeah, better. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I have to say, between Star Wars and Dune, Star Wars is way better. And actually, Dune seems to like be an influence of George Lucas. Yeah, it is. Or some of his ideas or characters. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's yeah that's yeah George Lucas is admittedly you know he borrowed from Dune and several other Kurosawa uh, films yeah, and yeah the Seven um, Samurai or Yojimbo yep. I can't remember what it's called I mentioned that last week but yeah exactly but I mean a good second if you're gonna do a trilogy the second book has to have the bad guys have to win in order for you to have the the you know to overcome. And to triumph in the third story, like it, you have to have that. I mean, and and for they some... even. I mean, I know people hate it. I know people do not like the film, but it's the same sort of thing with the Last Jedi, because the, the good guys don't win. Yeah, I yeah, I don't hate the Last Jedi like so many people do. Um, yeah, I don't. Either. I don't understand really the hate for it. Our biggest, and we've said this probably ad nauseum on this podcast, our biggest issue with the sequel trilogy is that there was no for, there was no thought to creating an arc. Mm-hmm. That these feel like three individual movies. That Separate just happen movies, to yeah. have the Well, same and I think, I think we've said it when we did the reviews, but I think part of that is because of the different directors and different directions that the directors wanted to go in. I think had Abrams done all three of them, we would have seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. If, if Abrams had done all three, or if, um, not Gareth Edwards. Um, well, Gareth would have been good too. Yeah, he did Rogue One. I can't remember the director of the other one. Ryan Johnson. If Ryan, Ryan Johnson, Johnson, if he, he had did done, Knives Out, that was good. Yeah, he, Knives Out mm-hmm. is great. You know, and so if he would have maybe if he would have done all three, what I honestly feel like, and this is kind of mean to say, but it falls at the feet of Kathleen Kennedy, who was head of Star Wars at, at at Disney. That's her job to be an executing producer, executive producer, whatever, which, which should have happened, and we know this now, but what should have happened is Kathleen Kennedy should have hired Dave Filoni and said, you mm-hmm. need to executive produce and write the story of the three movies. And then we'll have three different directors that can have their own versions, how they want it to look, but we need to get from point A to point B to point C. And the problem is they go from A to B to C, but they're three different like alphabets, you know. So that's that's the problem. Anyway, we're not going to talk about those three. We're going to talk about this movie, a good movie, a great movie, a fantastic movie. And it is fantastic. It is. And yeah. one thing that I I thought was interesting was growing up. This was a movie that was my sick movie. Like if sure. I was homesick, my mom would ask me which movie I wanted to watch. And I was like, Empire Strikes Back. And I'd watch it every time. And I'd watch it all the way through. And then it got me so excited to get engrossed in the books, like the Star Wars books and the expanded universe. And did you guys talk about last week anything regarding um, Splinter of the Mind's Eye? No. No. Because Splinter of the Mind's Eye was kind of a bridge between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. And it was like a direction of not knowing if 
Leia was Luke's sister. And it was a different take and different. It was like, you know, an alternate universe type story because she had kind of romantic feelings for Luke in the book. And uh, it was written by Alan Dean Foster, but uh, he does so much. (laughs) And then did you guys ever read uh, Shadow? So I'll I'll go ahead and tell you that we Shadow of the Empire. Yeah, we've not I've not read one single novel that's star wars related i'm pretty yeah, sure andrew hasn't um i grew up on it <laughs> yeah i i read a lot of novels growing well i wouldn't say growing up i didn't start reading i mean truly i didn't start reading books until college i mm. hated to read in high school my mom would literally bribe me with <laughs> with treats and stuff to get me to read and then i um i found the right the right thing that got me into reading. And then since then I've, I've read a whole bunch of stuff, but I, yeah, I've never picked up a single star Wars book. Well, I recommend shadows of the empire. Cause it kind of even gives you some idea of like, what could have been a story between empire and return of the Jedi. And the cool thing about shadows of the empire is it was a multimedia project that it went video game. It was a book it was also there. They did a full symphonic soundtrack to the book and the idea. And I mean, it was gorgeous. It was fantastic. And the video game wasn't that bad either for Nintendo 64. Right. The only, um, the only medium that I've consumed star Wars in besides the movies. I mean, I've played a handful of the games I played, uh, Rebel Assault on PC back in the mid '90s, and um, there's probably about 10, 10 or so of the Star Wars games that I've played over the years. But I have on CD somewhere lying around the Star Wars Radio Play. Oh, cool! And the radio play is really neat. They got some of the same actors. I mean, they still get to do the sound sound effects for R2. They got Anthony Daniels to do C3PO. Mark Hamill did Luke. Um I don't think Carrie Fisher was there. I know Han Solo definitely or um Harrison Ford Harrison. definitely wasn't there cuz he wasn't getting paid. Uh James Earl Jones <laughs> is not there. Um, some of the other ancillary characters, like the guy who plays Wedge and stuff, like he's there. But one of the the interesting things that they do in the radio play is they give you um, about a chapter's worth of material before the opening credits. Hmm. So it gives you some backstory. Now Rogue One has now changed that that story, mm-hmm. but in in the radio play, no. Rogue One didn't, not really, because that was before Star Wars, not not Empire. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, so okay. the radio play is for Star Wars, not Empire. And oh, okay. Yeah, it's for A New Hope. So, in the radio play, uh, Leia is on her home planet of Alderaan, and we go with her on one of her missions where she's delivering arms and ammunition and uh, food to a rebel base, and on the way back she gets stopped by an Imperial cruiser and the commander of that cruiser is sweet on her. 
and was like, hey, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm on a diplomatic mission, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, do you mind if we inspect your ship? And she's like, no problem. And then they go back to Alderaan and they inspect the ship. And then he starts trying to court her. And mm. he wants to he wants to marry her, and they go on a date, and then he find his his uh, he gets a message saying that like that they found something hidden on her ship, and she kills him. Uh, she kills this dude on her home planet, and so when she goes on the second run, which is when they intercept the uh, the plans, that's why Vader is like already kind of alerted to her. On who she gotcha. is, because it was like they, they had already been kind of tracking her. So again, Rogue One kind of changes it a little bit because it it changes it a little bit. But you know, Rogue One can do whatever it wants because it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's very but the true. Radio, but the radio yeah, play is is pretty neat, you know. And like, there's a little bit of um, you get a little bit of inner dialogue. Like, there's a there's a, a funny moment when you know in the medal ceremony when. Like they're all the the rebels are all lined up, right? And then Chewie screams, and then they all do a command front, like they all turn at the same time. In the radio play, Han literally tells Chewie, "Hey, tell them to stand at attention." And then Chewie screams, and that's why they all turn at the same time. It's because <laughs> Chewie was giving the command to to turn or something. It's it's kind of funny like that, you know. That is. Um, <laughs> anyway, one of those little things you can kind of retcon a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, you my, got a five-word review there, Sean. I have two of them, though one of them is only four. Uh, so my first one is the best Star Wars movie. Uh, so this one, in my opinion, is the best Star Wars movie. I think it's the best film. Now it's funny, Randy. You said that this was your sick film. For me, um, my comfort film was Return of the Jedi. I probably mm. have seen that one the most of the three. Mm-hmm. Because it's so easily rewatchable when you're a kid, mm-hmm. uh, because it it kind of looks the best. It has, you know, the 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 um, the graphics have been upgraded a little bit. The effects have been upgraded a little bit. You know, the space battle feels bigger and more uh, like there's more at stake. You know, it's, as opposed to a handful of ships fighting a Death Star, which you don't really get. Sorry, awkward oh. pause. Uh, you don't really get the scope of that fight because it, you know you're only ever seeing three ships on screen. Whereas in Return of the Jedi, there's ships everywhere. It's chaos. You know the the, the chaos of battle. Um, and yeah, the Ewoks are cute when you're a kid, and you do kind of laugh at the fact that you know you know little teddy bears with bow and arrows are are defeating trained soldiers with armor. But as a kid, you don't care, right? Because you know, and then as you grow up, you're like. Yeah, Empire's a better movie. You know, it's just it's just a better movie. It's mm-hmm. a little bit less. I know Star Wars is a kid, or like it's it's aimed towards the younger generation, but Star, you know, Empire just feels like there's real consequences and there's real. There's just, more depth. Yeah, it is. You're right. There is more depth. I mean, Lando is a complicated character. He's really interesting and and, and complicated, and and you get, you know more of the relationship between Leia and Chewie and Chewie and mm-hmm. Han. Like we're getting a little bit more of these inner, I mean like Chewie is ready to take on the empire when they're about to take Han. And like, there's something mm-hmm. so awesome in that moment. Um, when, when they say put Han in the, in the, in the thing, 
Like Chewie just loses his shit and just starts throwing stormtroopers <laughs> around, you know, and it's it's really great. It's this really sweet moment, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Um one of the key scenes that I love about Empire and the reason it is my sick movie is because I could rewatch the movie over and over again and just love every scene because I loved the Hoth battle. I love that battle. That whole battle scene. Uh, I know we're not supposed to root for the bad guys, but I love the snow troopers. Yeah. Yeah. The snow troopers are the coolest troopers ever. So I love those troopers. And then you've got the space battle, the space chase with the Millennium Falcon and the asteroid field mm-hmm. um, with the TIE fighters. And can we say the music is perfect for that scene? Yes, it yeah. is. It is really is that honestly, the, the, the asteroid field scene is my favorite scene of this movie. Because mm-hmm. um, you you mentioned that, I was just curious. Do either one of you have like a favorite scene from the movie or a favorite moment, Andrew? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the moment that. Uh, well, I, okay, I kind of have two, but I'll say this in first. So the scene where Darth Vader is actually in the base in Hoth, right? It's just to me, it's like evil is finally here and it's stuff's about to get real. And so until then, you just, you know, there's the troopers and the AT-ATs and walkers and things. So, yeah, but when you see him there, you know that like, I don't know, it's just kind of a badass. Well, like even when he even when he says, I want that ship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. he's right there. He sees him escape. Right. And but the other moment for me in this one is and I know that people kind of hate this, but the <laughs> and or people find it annoying if they don't realize what's going on. I love the interaction of Luke and Yoda mm-hmm. um, yeah. because and for a long time. I honestly thought it was annoying, and I thought, God, Yoda's just crazy. I mean, he's just this kook, and and his personality is completely changed from what you see in the prequels and blah, blah, blah. But then I started to realize what, what's actually happening. He is testing Luke's patience, and he's acting this way for a reason. And it's made me appreciate all those scenes a little bit more every time I see him. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, of course, I, you know, my wife asked the question, <clears throat> so why doesn't R2 remember Yoda? <laughs> because cause he, he would have. You know, like Luke's like, hey, we're going to Dagobah. I'm going to go meet Yoda. Oh, I've met him. You know, he's a little, <laughs> he's a little green dude. He's awesome. You know, like, it's just, or when, when Yoda does finally show up, R2, she'd be like, hey, that's Yoda. Remember me? We fought together. Like I was Anakin's droid. Yeah, you know. Anyway, it's just that's this just that's another list of things that makes me annoyed by the prequels. Is that because the the prequels take away from some of the like if you watch them in order one through nine, mm-hmm. like crazy 
uh, psychotic people do in this world, you lose those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and not everything can be retconned. Mm-mm. Yeah, nor should it. Yeah, but uh, this is one thing that I think there. It's uh, plausible uh, deniability. I think in the <laughs> third movie, isn't it, uh, Revenge of the Sith, where they something says wipe the droids. Well, he he says only three PO. Yeah, Captain. Until he yeah. says wipe the protocols droids memory. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was just three PO. He's just not R two. Yeah, so that mm. that's why it would make sense that C three PO doesn't see Darth Vader and go, "Hey, that's the guy who made me." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you, you yeah. have to have those moments. I get that, but again, R two should be losing his mind, going, "Yoda, like we hung out together. Like I know him. He's a friend from work." You know. <laughs> well, in the same uh, in the same facet, though, should should Obi Wan not? No R2 and of course. vice versa. Of course he yeah. should. And when he says, I don't remember owning a droid. No, but you were he there. He never did. Yeah, he never owned him. But you were also there when Anakin disobeyed a direct order to go into a battlefield to rescue R2. He risked his mm-hmm. life to rescue a droid. And Obi-Wan uh, berated him. Now, again, that's in the Clone Wars cartoon, which hadn't been, wouldn't be made for another 40 years. Like, I understand that. So, but that's the problem with all the prequel stuff is that when you, when you do that stuff, then, you know. It's, it's what it is here, here. This is it. When you messed with the past, it screws up. This is a space time continuum yeah. that, that, Doc Brown was Doc, talking about. Doc told us about it, man. You're gonna mess stuff up. I just look. I, you know, again, I actually do like the Clone Wars cartoon. I mean, oh yeah, the the Clone Wars cartoon and Ahsoka. Star Wars Rebels is fantastic. Rebels is mm-hmm. the best thing to happen to prequels. Yeah. Rebels is yeah. so freaking good, and I tell they're people, still thinking about making more seasons of it. And it's original. I would love for them to. Uh, now, oh. now we're gonna get a little bit of resolution in Rebels when. Ahsoka has her own TV series. Oh yeah, that's going to be a blast. Because when, love that. when I was watching, I've said this in the show before, but when I was watching it with my wife and Ahsoka in Mandalorian season two says to that Imperial lady, where is your master? Where is Admiral Thrawn? I lost <laughs> my shit. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's still <laughs> alive. And Oh yeah, he never died. Like he got taken away with Bridger. Yeah. But we don't know, like we, we don't have any concrete evidence. But what that means is that if Thrawn is still alive, that means Ezra is still alive. Mm-hmm. And that yep. means we are going to get a live action Ezra, which I am super stoked for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, be there, I think there are several things to look forward to in, in these live action Disney Plus series that are coming out. Yep. Definitely. Uh, but cool. yeah, uh, I this is just this is one of the best Star Wars written. I think this this film was probably the best written yeah. and best directed. Um, the sets, the everything about the movie feels real. Yeah. It feels lived in. It feels gritty and dark and like the snow and i i love that 
one of the trivia things that I was reading that Irvin Kirshner and his crew were inside this hotel and they were filming Luke or Hunt, um, Mark Hamill as he was walking out into the snowstorm where they were staying and it looked like a blizzard. And so they could film it right like that. And it looked like it'd be on Hoth because it was a snowstorm. It was the best thing. It's like things felt real. Things felt like tangible and not as um, fantastical. Yeah. Now, yeah. When you compare this to uh, the prequel, I don't remember which one it is, to be honest, where there's a planet with like these giant plants and. Uh, yeah, it's the third movie. With oh, Solution. yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, in that just Revenge feels. Of the Sith. Yeah. 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 That just feels very, like you said, fantastical and just very computer generated and fake and it doesn't feel like a real place. Mm hmm. Uh, I so I actually had a second five word review, but I forgot to say it. Um, but this is my four five word review, and that is don't mess with perfection. That's right, and <laughs> and that's what I mentioned earlier is that they didn't really mess with this movie very much, and and maybe that's simply because it was so good, it didn't need messing with, it didn't need a bunch of other stuff, and. You know, I know we bitched last week. You know, Sam or Andrew's making a joke, but and I'm not a bitch next week or last week. And I'm going to bitch next week when <laughs> we get to uh, Return of the Jedi. And I'm going to well, spend. There, there is something in there that's definitely worth. I'm going to spend. About. I'm going to spend five minutes alone on Nub Nub. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest with you. That, I don't understand. Well, that was the original song that was in the original score. Yeah. And I mean, it's not bad for that original thought because it gave you kind of a ethnic feel to who they were as yeah. Ewoks. And you get kind of the, the feeling of that with the instruments still, even with the new updated score that they put out, you still get some of those instruments that are there, but you don't get the nub nub, you know. Well, it's not. Uh, I don't want to talk about too much of it, but it's it's not <laughs> nearly as it, it's no there's no energy behind it mm-hmm. because because for two reasons. One, what you're seeing on screen now no longer matches. Like you got Ewoks playing xylophone on dead stormtrooper helmets. I like to pretend that there's dead people's heads inside those helmets still because these I think these, they're just the helmets I know but these creatures are savages man they they decapitated those guys and so they're making they're, they're playing xylophone but it doesn't fit the, the the rhythm of the music and then we cut to like Coruscant and seeing the statue of the emperor being pulled down and we cut to Mandalore and like like we get to go to these different places and see you know Kashyyyk and we get to see Celebration but it's all fake and you know it's fake because it looks fake. And then, uh, I, I know I didn't mean to go here, but damn it, I'm here. And then they freaking put in <laughs> Hayden Christensen at the end of the movie in the ghost form. Luke should literally mm-hmm. stop the movie and go, I don't know who you are. Yeah. Like, that's not the man I just buried or burned, you know, burned. Who are you? Weird kid. Stop looking at me with that weird face. Like, hey, there's Yoda and there's Obi-Wan. Like, I know who you are. 
But like, if you're gonna do Hayden Christensen, then why not put you and McGregor there? Right. Because that makes yeah. as much sense as the other thing. It makes zero sense. I don't understand it. Okay. Well, and he reason... would be older. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. It's like, why would you, why would you put in young Hayden Christensen when he was redeemed at the end of Return of the Jedi? Yeah. And yeah. it should show him as old self. Right. Well, I, I, I think the reason that, that we see him as Hayden Christensen is, A, the audience now associates Anakin as that person. And B, if it were an older, random Jedi, we might not realize who that is mm-hmm. as the audience. But in the original... We didn't really know who it was either. I mean, uh, before they replaced him, but we kind of did. You know, we. No, it's, the it's, audience knows. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the thing where I complain all the time about. Don't I? I didn't mean to go here. I'm. <laughs> I want to stick with Empire Strikes Back. But, I was gonna say it's a different movie. I know it's a different movie. We'll we'll bitch about it next week with uh, our special <laughs> guest next week. I want to stay back here because I I literally can go for many many more minutes on that, and I probably will next week. So well, how about listen- we talk about the set that is Dagobah, that it was actually elevated, and mm-hmm. yeah. Frank Oz and his crew had to work underneath, and they had like three feet to work with, and uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah, I, I just that practical effects at its best mm-hmm. because even uh, shooting the scene where uh, R two gets like into the the water and it's actually like a mud pool but it, it's George Lucas's swimming pool and they filmed it there nice that's awesome and, I didn't know that but it's just perfect it's like all these wonderful practical effects and the camera work the cinematography of the film it just works so well it's just it's it's a far grade higher than a lot of other movies that were even made during the same time mm-hmm. because of the practical effects, the, the practical use of effects. I loved it. The, some of the stuff that I noticed that I, that I kind of took some notes on specifically was that I really, I was really kind of keying in on the puppetry of Yoda. Cause right. Cause again, we mentioned this mm-hmm. last week. This is the first time we've we've watched these movies with a critical eye. We, we usually just watch them as fans, but this time I was watching it with, as we call it, the patent pending CSR glasses. And I was watching bifocals very... Bifocals available for us older folks. I wear bifocals, so yeah, that's, those are very yeah. handy. Um, I, I was looking more at how good the puppetry of Yoda was you know, like in the past, you just kind of take it for granted. You just kind of watch mm-hmm. it and go, yeah, I know it's a puppet, but he's an alien. Like you just kind of go, yeah, it's an alien. There he is. He's a little green dude. And that's kind of cool. Okay. But as I was watching it this time, I'm sitting there thinking the the detail in just his... Intricacies. Yeah, his facial expressions. Yeah. His he has, eyes, yeah. He actually has micro expressions. Right, it's mm-hmm. not just the fact that his eyes get bigger when the X-wing starts to come out of the water, and then Luke fails, and then he drops his head. It's like when he's thinking, he can actually furrow his brow. 
His you know, ears move. His ears mm-hmm. move. It's I mean it's yeah. it's just so awesome at how how good they were at this thing. I'm saying like when it when it could have just been Kermit the Frog, right? Kermit is mm-hmm. just a hand, right. right? And it's just open mouth and then whatever. Like this felt like so perfect much example. More. I'm sorry. Perfect example there is where he's talking about the force and how it's uh, it's not this crude matter and it's not this crude matter. You know, he he pinches Luke with his with his fingers and it's like mm-hmm. that's the puppet and it's like it's so good because it, you you feel it. You you're right there with Yoda touching Luke and being like, "Yes." Right. And I think that's why so many people in the when the prequels came out were so upset that Yoda was was CGI because it was done so well as well, a puppet. And, and it and it and it felt in a menace it was it was a puppet. Right, but right. But then they changed it. Right. Uh and wait, aside what say, say from that the again? Hold that on, Andrew. Say that again. The actors Randy, what? They changed they, they... They changed Yoda in the Phantom Menace. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he was a puppet in the first one, but when they needed yeah. him to do no, no, they changed it again. Like they had him be a puppet. The original when we see it in the theater, he's a puppet. Later on, when they released it to like digital or something. Or DVD, Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. They changed it to where he's a CGI character. Yeah, I do remember we talked about that, Andrew. Frustrating I think when we when we watched yeah. it for the show. I think I remember someone bringing that up. Um, I didn't know that um, until I think we watched it because I didn't. I hadn't. The only version of the Phantom Menace I owned was the theatrical cut when they when they first put it out on VHS. Like that's the only version that I have of mm-hmm. that movie. Um, I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying, Andrew? I uh, don't remember, so it's um, probably not that important. Well, we can... But I, I will say that uh, you know the fans were rightly upset uh, for that. I think because the puppetry was done so well that it was lifelike. It did feel real, even though it was a puppet. I don't think we needed the CGI. I don't know why Lucas decided to go that direction, but. Uh, I, I, you know, I think maybe because of the right things that it, that he wanted Yoda to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, th- there's no way that you could have uh, in the Attack of the Clones uh, the battle between he and but, and uh, yeah, and that's fine. Then make that Yoda CGI. I mean, the the fact that because let's be fair that's not christopher lee doing that stuff either that's that's, no, a, that's somebody else doing cgi or doing the fighting i'm sorry the cgi the fight is all cgi and then they put the the cgi christopher lee's head onto the body of the thing so like it's not yeah. none of it's real right. um so anyway um so i want to go back to this movie cuz i know we keep we keep aiming at hate towards <laughs> other places and I want to stay here. It's hard not to because it, it, it all blends together. You're, you're yeah. not wrong. Again, when you have these 11 movies um, of which there's 12 now. What's the 12th? Solo. Yeah, that's the 11th, right? There's the original oh, okay. 9 and then, okay. and then Rogue One and then Solo. So that's, that's 11, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't no, count. no, you're fine, dude. I mean, I went to a state school too, so I, I can't. I, I'm bad at math. <laughs> um, Andrew and I, we, the joke works. You know, we're both music majors, so we can only ever count to four. Again, that's a joke yeah. that only music majors <laughs> get. But, um, so I want to go back to the asteroid field now. Oh, I love mm-hmm. the asteroid field. So awesome. What I also love about it is that, um. And they do this in all of the Star Wars movies. All of them do this. This is a trope that that lives in Star Wars. For whatever reason, TIE fighter pilots are, one, bad, and two, stupid. Because... (laughs) Yeah. Because... And I like how they make fun of the trope in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? So they see an asteroid field, and they fly into it. And then they're like, they won't, they'll, they'll be too crazy to follow us. And then they look and they see that the enemy ships just went around the asteroid field, right? <laughs> and, and they also kind of make fun of this trope in the TV show Firefly, where they're being chased by some bad guys and they fly down into this canyon and they're doing these really intricate maneuvers, or whatever. And then they look up and the ship is just flying above the canyon, just looking down at them. And he's like, Oh, I didn't think about that, right? And then they just end up hiding in the canyon. So, but in Star Wars, every time, if if the Tie Fighter is chasing the Falcon, which it's always chasing the the, the Falcon, it, it's always that. They always go through like these intricate places, and the Ties always follow them, and they always crash, and it cracks me up every time. <laughs> and it's just, it doesn't like when you're watching it in in the Force Awakens or in the um the not the phantom menace what's the last one number nine um the rise of skywalker rise of skywalker by the time we get to those movies it's almost annoying it's like okay tie fighter guys like can we stop like again the falcon chase scene on um on uh jetta jetta that's the name of the planet right with mm-hmm. ray and finn like it's a really cool scene because we get to see the falcon really do some cool stuff because it's CGI. But like, why would the tie go follow them in through the, the decaying, you know, of the, the star destroyer, just go over it and catch them on the other side. Like, you know, just, but it was a cool shot. Um, but for some reason in this movie, I guess because we haven't seen it a bunch, it totally works. And mm-hmm. also knowing that Darth Vader will probably kill you, if you don't go chasing in there anyway, because he says yeah. asteroids don't bother me. I mean, he loses a star destroyer. Asteroids do not concern me. Yeah, I, I mean, there's this really great detail of when there's an establishing shot. There's the super star destroyer, and it, it's blasting all these asteroids, and there's a couple of other smaller cruisers coming behind it. And one of the smaller uh, cruisers gets hit by a huge asteroid and explodes and then we cut to inside where Vader is talking to other hologram generals. And one of them, he freaks out and then disappears and dies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's such a cool detail to show that, yeah, yeah. that Star Destroyer just died. Vader just lost 2,000 men and he doesn't care. <laughs> you know? So yep. I, I love that. But I just love that. that, that the, the scene is so awesome. That, that Well, and, and it works so well. John Williams did such an amazing job with the score for that scene. A lot of it was Mickey Mousing, but a lot of it was just so like well written. John mm-hmm. Williams just like wrote that scene so well because you you 
I hate to use this word over much, but you feel everything for what's going on in that scene with the music. The music just takes you there. It, it like it takes you as it bends through the the asteroids and the Millennium Falcon is swerving and going down and up and around and in this cavern and and then when they finally get to a so-called safe haven, you know, for <laughs> going down into the hole, uh, which is, of course, the giant uh, liz- space worm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that whole scene, it's just perfect. I mean, John Williams just went all out with that scene. And I mm-hmm. it's one of the best scored sequences for the movie to me yeah i agree and i i know we're probably going to talk about the score uh to this movie in general later but i just want to say i think that this of of all the work of john williams probably is the best of everything that he's done Mm -hmm. um you know when we hear the imperial march for the first time i mean that just sends like and i know that it's straight out of Gustav Holst. It's straight out of Mars, you know, from the planets, but it's, it's so appropriate for this, you know, not only is it a, a work that is, uh, already about celestial things using, you know, Holst, but, uh, it just fits, you know, the bringer of war is what he's modeled this after. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I don't know, this, that particular, uh, piece in that particular moment where where we see these star destroyers coming in and we and you hear that uh, it just it's so the uh, rhythm the rhythm yeah. of that that scene and the rhythm of what John Williams uses the dun 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 dun, dun you know the percussion yeah. that builds and builds and builds and then you have the big brass that comes in and it's just it's perfect like it's Mm -hmm. exactly what you need to see on screen and especially like sean when you had screen capped your picture of when you were watching the movie and you were showing darth vader's head looking out the window view screen or view window of where he was that scene seems to be one of those scenes where they use the Imperial March really well. Um, because you could see that Darth Vader was right there. He was in amongst his ships and everything. And he's on the, um, the star destroyer Avenger. I think it was. Mm, yeah, I think so. But it's just, it's, it's one of those perfect moments. And John Williams just like, in every moment of this movie, there's so much musical moments that work and yeah. that fit. Um, and that in other movies, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I love, I think, isn't it literally called like scherzo on an asteroid field or something that the, the music? I, yeah. Um, um, let me look it up. I Force can't Awakens. What, what did you say? <laughs> no. What did you say, Andrew? No, no he had a scherzo on something. 
There's Scherzo uh, on motorcycle in in the Last that's Crusade. Scherzo for um, um, X wings. X wings. Yep. Yeah, oh, Scherzo for X wings is for the um, which I also love. I think that's that's yeah. actually really really great. That's a good one. It, it yeah. is a good one. Um, I think that uh, I, I mean I'm I'm sure other composers do this, but I think that John Williams is masterful in the way that he connects a theme to a character and then is mm-hmm. able to blend those themes together with other characters themes he and, just calls and, it and, the asteroid field it's just called asteroid field i couldn't remember that mm-hmm. but like the thing that i love about it so much and again i know i, I mean we're having a uh a, a, randy you you have a podcast that, that emphasizes soundtrack alley i mean it's about film scores so I, i'm okay talking about this more than we usually do but i think oh, it's, yeah. I think what is so great and what we, we've complained about on other shows and other episodes is that, yes, this is a Star Wars movie, but it feels like about 60%, 50% of the music we hear in this movie is new. It's for mm-hmm. this movie. And, and and I love that. And I, I, I um, one of the most egregious examples of this I can ever ever think about is when in Harry Potter... Six, um, the guy that was the composer of Harry Potter 5 used the exact same tracks from 5 into 6. I mean, it's like he put the CD hmm. in and just hit play. <laughs> and and as a, as a, as a guy that, that loves the film score, that loves the music, in the movie, in the theater, when the moment happened, I'm like, that's the same exact music. I was so angry that I couldn't mm-hmm. enjoy visually what I was seeing on screen. And then it there happens. was nothing new. It was nothing new. It was the exact same score, note mm-hmm. for note. And it's and I and I can even prove it. If you go online to iTunes, the two scenes from the <laughs> sixth movie, there is no score track for. You can't buy it on the soundtrack because it already exists in the Order of the Phoenix. So that's what made me so mad about about that That's one. That's funny. Yeah, it's funny and sad because Harry Potter, yeah. you know, Harry Potter 1, 2 and 3 are John Williams. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're amazing scores and especially the third one. The third one is really 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 good. And then the fourth one is fine. I don't remember who did the fourth one, but then the fifth Wasn't one Wasn't it com- Patrick Doyle? Yes, it was Patrick Doyle. You're right. Yeah. And he has a fine, you know, catalog of a lot of really good music. Very epic. You know mm-hmm. the the battle or the the the, the games and stuff is very epic sounding. It's a lot of fun, but then this, this, they get this new guy in for for five and six, and all he had ever done is TV. For so for him, music this plot. Uh, it's not just that. Like to him, music in a movie is just to get you is a transition. If you think about those movies, well, it depends on the movie because, I mean, he did Valerian, and that was an amazing score uh the guy that did that did five and six he did he did uh valerian desplat yeah alexander no no not him not not him. he's really good okay uh he did a bunch of stuff uh um he won an oscar recently for something no it was uh shape of water yeah was uh not david Heyman. um all right now we're doing the thing look it up yeah (laughs) i'm looking up order order of the phoenix Oh, this is the best podcasting stuff ever, but you guys are used to me doing this kind of stuff anyway, so... This is good stuff, because, um, you know, when Eric and I talk movies and film scores, uh, sometimes we'll we'll delve into 
a little bit of a tangent. Nicholas uh, Nicholas Hooper is the score. Oh, okay. The film score. Hmm. And you're like, yeah, I don't know who that is. Exactly. Because all he does yep. is TV. <laughs> so he did he did the Half Blood Prince. He did Order of the Phoenix. Um, they replaced him with uh, Alexander Desplat for for seven and seven point two, which is which mm-hmm. was the right call. Because before that, all he had done was stuff like uh, Nature, the TV series documentary, and oh wow, um, Blood Murder, four <laughs> episodes, whatever that is. The Messiah, The <laughs> Promise, The Future Is Wild. These are all TV shows, right? Mm-hmm. So he wrote the music for. Harry Potter, which at the time was like the third largest franchise in the world, and he all of the music is transitional pieces, right? Think of the music that's really good in that. It's either a transition or a montage, right? It's when Harry is flying over, you know, the when he's being rescued and he's flying over the Thames, like nice energy, but it's only 30 seconds. And then the room of requirement montage. Again, there's a montage. But for the most part, like the battle with Voldemort and Dumbledore, there's no music. The like it's so anyway. Again, I feel like all I want to do is I'm in a bad. I don't physically feel well, so I feel like I have to bitch about things, and I apologize. But here's here's the thing. Uh, you make a very valid point in regard to the music. Um, John Williams, the man, has never done any wrong in regard to film scores. There, I don't think. I've ever listened to a John Williams score and not said that score was terrible. No, every score that John Williams has done for any of the movies that he's ever done, even the old classic movies of like uh, how to steal a million. That was John Williams, Uh, you know, doing the lost in space theme, the original for this third season of the TV show. That was John Williams. It's like he just he's a musical prodigy and it's hard to narrow down a uh, an idea of saying, okay, so where do we compare another composer with John Williams? Well, you can't because it like there is none. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I. Usually when I say, when I make reference to John Williams, you know, I, I always, I have to put him in, in with his peers, right? You know, he, he, he lives, yeah. his, his other peers are, um, you know, Hans Zimmer is not his peer. Hans Zimmer is mm-hmm. you know, the next generation, but I kind of put Hans Zimmer with, um, oh gosh, my brain. I'm so tired. I'm sorry. He did Star not Trek 2 and 3. Not Giacchino, because Giacchino is like the next generation you know what I'm of saying? Williams. Like, He's the yeah. next generation of Williams. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Who's the guy that... He died in a plane crash. Um, James Horner. Horner? James Horner. Like, oh, James okay. Horner um, and the guy that wrote most of the Star Trek universe. Um, James Newton Howard? No. No. Dennis McCarthy? Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. Like, I can kind of... I kind of... Yeah, Goldsmith is great. Goldsmith helped uh, write the original um, Alexander Courage Star Trek theme. You know, like, yep, yeah, um, you know, like, Star Trek connection. Yeah, well, sort <laughs> of. Um, 
So there's always like like I kind of kind of think of those other guys as as contemporaries. But I also have to you also have to think when you're thinking of great American composers, you also still have to put in guys like Aaron Copland and Bernstein. Mm-hmm. You know, like these also people that were giants in their in their in their field. field. You know, like they were they were amazing. When I mean, like what Copland did is just is still considered some of the best classical music ever. Um, mm-hmm. For an American composer, I mean, you look at oh, Gust- yeah. you know, Gustav Holst and Dvorak. Like, there's all these other composers that were really, really great, and John Williams belongs in the conversation mm-hmm. of those other men. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and like know, even now. Oh, go ahead. Well, Andrew, I was just going to say, I know musicians uh, that because he's a film score writer, don't high him hold him in in that high esteem that they hold. For instance, Bernstein or or Copeland, yeah, uh, or Souza or somebody like that, because he's a film score writer, uh, and and I think because the the way that that music is delivered to us is different than the way that say a Souza march is delivered to us. Yeah, I'd have I don't to think disagree. that matters. Yeah, I would totally disagree yeah. because he does concert works. He does, yeah. Like that's the thing. John Williams doesn't only do. Like when we buy a John Williams score, like The Empire Strikes Back, there are cues on the album that are concert pieces. Like they're 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 in the movie, but they're used in the movie. You don't hear the whole piece in the movie. You hear right. portions of it, yeah. but when you listen to the album. You get the full concert piece, like uh, the Princess Leia theme. Oh, that piece alone is gorgeous, and it's on the album, it's on the the soundtrack. It's not in the film. You get bits and pieces of her theme, but the concert piece that is Princess Leia's theme is only on the soundtrack. And it works even in concert. It's just gorgeous yeah. because it has those flutes and it's everything. And but that's what makes Empire so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to move on here because I know we could probably spin. I was going to say we can we can talk. Do we about have? Music. Do we? Ha- can we do our 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 three our are three things? Not yet. We, is, we we oh, we man. still have a couple other little things I want to do first. I got uh, some notes we can talk about when you, when you get a moment. Yeah, yeah. So a couple little dumb things that I wrote. Again, I'm watching this with the CSR glasses on. So like, I oh I should have had it pulled up. I didn't. I wasn't ready for this. Um. Uh. But like, do we care? That um. Yes. You know, do we care that when they walk out into the belly of the space worm, they're just wearing gas masks and they're not wearing pressurized spacesuits? Like, no. You know, what I'm saying like it. It was. It was watching it this time. I'm like, they're technically still in the vacuum of space. There shouldn't be. But they're inside a creature, so there's its own. It has its own uh, atmosphere. It, it does kind of have a. I mean, I mean, it has. What's the atmosphere of our stomach? Right, but in fairness, there isn't a a direct line of sight between my mouth and my tummy right now. There's a lot of you know, 
for lack of a better word, there are sphincters between here and there that are preventing the contents of my stomach from just spilling out of my mouth when I talk. And this was just a tube, right? Because the movie, you know, like when they turn, they see the mouth. So it's not like they had to fly through the intestines to get to the place where the Minox live. Again, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't bother me really, but every time I see it recently, it makes me think of my favorite quote from Galaxy Quest. Hey, don't open that! It's an alien planet! Is there air? You don't know! <laughs> and then he goes, smells good to, oh, me. I, I, yeah. good mean to me. <laughs> Seems okay. Seems okay. <laughs> we need to secure the building and arm the... Yeah, that's the rest of the thing. So, oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. Have you seen the documentary on that? I haven't. I keep oh, saying man, I need to watch so it. Oh, man, it's so good. I know. I know. I need to. Um, I also wrote, uh, if the X-Wings blasters... So we know, again, Rogue One, amazing film, but it also kind of ruins something because we, in Rogue One, we learned that the X-Wing blasters are powerful enough to break the back of an AT-AT, an AT-AT. So why not just use the X-Wing in the fight to defend Hoth? And uh, my coworker, he was like, well, maybe they couldn't fly in the cold, to which I responded, but they fly in the, the in space. Like, that's colder than, than the planet. And he's like, well, the movie needed them to have, you know, like. You have to set aside your disbelief. I know. I know that. Again, I know, and the movie, and of course, the movie does the one thing which is is weird. Is like because then when the uh, the AT the AT when it falls, and then they shoot it and it explodes. It's like, well, why did it break, blow up when it fell, but not when it was standing? You know, like uh, again, it's it's fine. I just I, I looked at it as simply when it was operational, it had like armor plating that was activated, and when it fell, like it, you know, the guy hit, you know. It stopped working, and therefore it was vulnerable. Again, nothing that really makes or breaks the movie for me. It's just a dumb little nitpick. Um, but I do love that scene in Rogue One when that X-Wing comes in and, and, and blasts that thing. But it's an thing. inferior AT-AT. Oh, well, it's, it, what, it's a year earlier? I mean, it's not like it's, it's been that much time. Well, yeah, before. but it's, I mean, the Empire was constantly trying to improve their their models. Because, I mean... Look at the Adats in The Last Jedi. Those well, things were beasts. Well, those are gorilla backs, and that's also 30 years into the future. I mean, they've had a chance to... Yeah, the ones in Rogue One were... Uh, those were American-made company, and then the, <laughs> the ones in the original trilogy, those were Japan. It's like gotcha. Ford versus, you know, Toyota, Toyota. Hyundai, something like that. Says the guy that drove a Toyota into a wall. I did. You know, <laughs> just okay. to prove that it's still going. I drove. A, I've drove. I've driven my Dodge into a wall too. It's fine. Um, and the other thing too, though, is that those the the adats in um, Rogue One, the they had their doors open, the troop carrier door. So maybe the armor had been compromised when the doors are open. Um, we don't. We don't get the benefit of that in. Um, in this movie, we don't get to see that, which is kind of too cold. Why would they keep the doors open? Well, there's a so there's a, a friend of mine, a coworker. Um, he has a, um, a couple of fan edits, and one of those fan edits, the guy CGI'd the doors opening, and you see the snowtroopers rappelling down 
to invade the base. Because that's what they're for. They're not just walking weapons platforms. They're troop carriers. And we just... They just didn't have the technology to make that shot work well because they're again they're stop motion. So again, so then the repellers would have to also be stop motion, so it wouldn't have looked looked right. Um, but they CGI'd it to make it kind of work. So I think that's I think that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, of course. Yeah. Let's see. I also noticed that I wrote down why does it feel like nature is trying to kill them more than the empire. <laughs> Between. Yeah, speaking of that uh, scene at the beginning where Luke is freezing to death out in the cold. He's escaped the Wampa. I've never really thought about it, but Han uses the lightsaber yeah. in that scene. and I, it, It's got an know, on-off switch. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, I guess it's a trivia question that maybe I've overlooked every time I've watched it that... You know, if someone at a trivia night were to say, does Han Solo ever use a lightsaber? I probably would have said yep. no. Yeah. But he actually does. Yeah. 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 It's funny. My wife and I had this conversation a while ago that because she thought when we watched The Force Awakens, she asked me, she says, so was Finn a Force user? And at the time I said no. Then we eventually learn in The Rise of Skywalker that he is a Force user, but we didn't know that at the time. And I said, no, he's not. And she says, so how can he use a lightsaber? I said, it's just a weapon. Anyone can use it. And she says, well, what they should do is make the button on the inside of the casing so that only (laughs) Jedis can use a lightsaber. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's actually brilliant. Like, you you have to use the Force to activate the button to turn on the lightsaber. So that way... If you like a kid can't just pick up your lightsaber and then cut your leg off, you know, like <laughs> yeah. like only a force user could use it. Like that's actually kind of brilliant. Uh my wife is brilliant. So there, I think that. it's I think <laughs> it's brilliant and I know I'm going off on a tangent, but in the ninth Jedi animated short for Star Wars Visions, um the main girl in the short, she activates a lightsaber and it's gray. And it doesn't it doesn't become green until she's fighting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that that's a neat story because the idea is that like the she hasn't chosen kind of which side she's on yet. And so the, the kyber crystal inside knows um kind of you know, her intentions and so it doesn't turn green until her intentions are fully realized. It's it, Those shorts are really neat. Uh, I, I highly recommend that you finish watching them. And if anyone listening to this yeah. hasn't watched them, they're on Disney+. Plus. Those shorts are really good. Uh, last couple of notes I had was, um, uh, hey, what's your Imperial job? Well, my job is to clean up the dead bodies that Darth Vader leaves. <laughs> That's perfect. Cool. Uh, Andrew, you said you had a few notes before you wanted to... Well, just real quick, yeah, I just had... uh, I'd never really noticed it before, but Luke in the back to tank. I don't know who costume design decided that that, uh, it needed to be a giant diaper, but (laughs) it looks looks very awkward on him. Yeah. Oh, Uh, it does, doesn't it? And then also, I just wrote down real quick, I'd never noticed before that Han actually reacts... 
to the carbon freezing before the process actually starts. So his head kind of jerks up, you know, and then the the fog is emitted or whatever, which I don't know that it's ever bothered me necessarily, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I've just kind of caught it this time. It's, it's probably just, it he just got tired of getting smashed in the face with the the gas, you know, the, the Maybe CO2. So, or whatever. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to move on to, uh, some stuff because, well, it's time to move on. Oh, I have some clips. I can't go to trivia yet. I have a few clips. So here we go. We'll cook through these pretty quickly. Um, this always makes me laugh. Excuse me, sir. Might I inquire what's going on? Why not? There you go. I like that part. That always made me laugh. Why not? Why not? Uh, I was, um, contractually obligated to cap to capture this. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? Who's scruffy looking? We had a plan. I love that. We had a plan at one point that anytime one of us dropped the f bomb, we would use Nerf Herder. I would insert Nerf Herder instead of, you know, instead of a beep. I would just use that. But for my time, yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I have it somewhere in my my soundboard. I don't know where it is. Uh, here's the thing that Yoda says, and then there's kind of a joke payoff in it in the TV show Rebels. So here we go. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do. Oh, do not. There is no try. So later in Rebels, Kanan is teaching Ezra, and Ezra says, I'll give it a try. And then Kanan says, no, there is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. And he goes, but in order to do, I have to try. And he goes, I know, that's just something that Master Yoda said to me once. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (coughs) um, Here we go. This is this one. I love you. I know. There we go. Had to, had to get that one. And Great. then it switches in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, I love this one just because Lando just kind of, he's, he's just defeated at this point. Should we just do it? We're all, yeah. all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I love it. He's just, all right, whatever. It's like, okay. Okay, because Chewie's going to kick my ass. Uh, time for this. And now for some more bad news. Ready? Again, these movies have so much freaking trivia. There's just so much to cover, and I'm not going to cover nearly uh, all of it. There's like 230-something entries in the trivia I'll section. I'll mention just one. How about uh, that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, The ship, the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. was a full-size model. It was 23 tons. Um, it was 63, 65 feet long and 17 feet high. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome that they built it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of the other ones that I found that I thought was neat, the shots where Luke is using his Jedi powers to retrieve his lightsaber from a distance were achieved by having Mark Hamill throw the lightsaber away and then running the film in reverse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just nice and simple. Um, Love it. Also, when Mark Hamill was having trouble with the Dagobah scenes with Yoda, Frank Oz brought Miss Piggy on to make him laugh. <laughs> I like that. Yep. All right. It's great. What what uh, Randy has been waiting for. Excuse me while I whip this out. Top three. Tonight we are doing movies with not Muppet puppets. So puppetry, puppetry in movies that are not Muppets. And um, Randy, I'll actually let you go first. 
Okay, so my top three are Labyrinth, The Neverending Story, and Return to Oz. I've never seen Return to Oz. Oh, man, that's a good one. You need to watch it. You should do it for your show. Uh, if it's ever streaming, I'll, I'll be doing it. Yeah, sure. It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I guess that's uh, as good a chance as whatever. All right. Yeah. Um, all right, so the few that I wrote, and unfortunately all of mine are pretty much all the ones that other people said. So I did uh, The Dark Crystal, number uh, three, uh, I actually did uh, the Jurassic Park, the Raptors, uh, the the baby mm-hmm. Raptor in Jurassic Park. That was for Sam, so I'm Sam thinking about you. And my number one, uh, Randy, helped me find this one is Star Trek Three. The big dumb Klingon dog is a puppet, and it's weird and gross and dumb looking, but it's still a puppet, right. and that's a Star Trek connection. So there you go. Uh, Twitter, we've got some fun ones on Twitter. Thank you Wait. for those uh, for. Um, Participating. Uh, what about old. Andrew? Oh, Andrew. Old. Go ahead, Andrew. I <laughs> forgot you go before the Twitter. All right. Uh, so really quick, I, I have three and an honorable mention. Honorable mention to Team America World Police. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, number three, I have Gremlins. Number two, I have Slimer from Ghostbusters. <laughs> nice. And number one, I have Animatronic Puppet. Faces from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Sure. Filmed nice. filmed in North Carolina. There you go. Cool. The first some one, of it. Yeah. First one most yeah, all of the farm scenes. Yeah. Basically any scene not on New York City streets was filmed in North Carolina. Nice. Um Twitter, we do have uh let's see, Jesse from Green uh, Green Shirt Podcast says Labyrinth. Aliens and Fred and Zed from the Puppet Core films, which is a movie that he worked on, so he's he's very excited oh. for that. So, um, always want to give him uh, that. Let's see, Jesse says uh, Jesse from the Sudden but Inevitable podcast, Team America, Death to Smoochie. Uh, he wrote that had a puppet or two, right? And the scene where Gamer and were. In Gamer, where Dexter puppeted Phantom of the Butler. Oh, nice. Phantom of the Butler. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Because it's Gerard Butler in the movie. Yeah, instead of Phantom and of the Menace. Gerard Butler also of the opera. played the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I have to give him some more credit for that. I didn't read it the first time. Um, that's, that's a good smart. one. That's a, that's a good. Nice. Uh, that's kind of, oh, and Sam also chimed in. Uh, Sam, he actually chimed in. He also said the Dark Crystal, Never Ending Story, and Jurassic Park. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, good job. That's that. And hey, I have three movies for uh, in snow. Oh, yeah, that was the other one we were gonna do. What you got? Snowpiercer, Whiteout, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Nice, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, time for... Oh, wait. I gotta play this. Wait, what's supposed to happen? This is where we're gonna give this movie a score from 0 to 10. And, um, Andrew goes first. Alright, I am gonna give this 9.2 Nerf Herders out of 10. Alright. 
It is, uh, like I said, the best, in my opinion, of the original three. All right. Randy? I get around 10 out of Nerf Herders. <laughs> All right, 10, yeah. It doesn't get anything less. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fair. I mean... It's I, perfect. Yeah, it's... No, it, I... I can't disagree. Uh, Out of the, all the Star Wars movies, it is the one that is perfect. I do think it is a perfect film in that it perfectly tells the story it's trying to tell. It does have a couple little things, but that's not enough really to, to detract me from anything. I am going to give this one a 9.5. Uh, 95 what did Jesse call them? It was so funny. He called them uh, horned llamas or something. Horned snow llamas or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember. Like the llama corns? Have you ever seen those? <laughs> no. They're like, they're fuzzy and they have wings and they have horns, but they're llamas. They're llamas. That's funny. <laughs> they're, they're fuzzy llama corns. Llama corns. It sounds like, I don't know what it sounds like. It sounds weird. <laughs> Uh, all right, time for this last little thing that we do here. Um, I'm gonna pick a random clip and say, ah! There you go, that was from the perfect weapon. Uh, how about this one instead? Excuse me, there we go, that's Dark Man. I like that one. Uh, the quote game last week, our quote was, Oh no, it wasn't the planes, it was beauty that killed the beast. I think we uh, established that was that King that was, Kong. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Andrew said it was Beauty the Beast. I think he's right. No, that's King Kong. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Uh, this one, this week's uh, quote game again. Uh, your quote. You, if you tell me what the quote is, I'll mail you a sticker. The moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I have no desire to make love to her. That's an old movie. It might be might be more difficult than uh, than our usual ones. Can you say that quote again? I the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I have no desire to make love to her. Hmm. That's from my cousin Vinny. Yep, that's exactly it. <laughs> Joe Pesci says that. Absolutely. I've only seen that movie once, so uh joking. That's not at all from that. Um, oh, okay. No, it's not even close. Don't throw Mama from the train. That's what I was. Yeah, that's Sylvester Stallone says it as he's right. Sylvester Stallone's no Schwarzenegger's in that. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Neither of them, but neither okay. of them. <laughs> Bruce Willis. It's Bruce Willis, right? No. Okay. No. That's uh, fine. Um, all right, Randy. Tell people, our listeners how they can find your show and how they can listen to you and your awesome podcast uh, about soundtracks. Well, you can find me through soundtrackalley.com. Um, that's where I do my individual show. And I've been doing these uh, little short, short shows called Q perception. Um, so I've been doing that on soundtrackalley.com and I'm, I'm at episode 100 and, 29 yeah that'll be nice. this friday nice. 28 or 29 i don't remember i have to look again anyway and then you can also find me on cinematic sound radio um and i've done probably close to 12 soundtrack alley episodes on there and two interviews um one is with elizabeth phillips and weiner the other one is with lucas Cantor. 
he's of anime fame uh, for film scores. Um, and also check out my show, Anime Spectacular, on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Um, and follow me on Twitter, Soundtrack Alley. And I'm on Instagram for Soundtrack Alley as well. And um, I just love movie scores. So, yeah. And you can email me, soundtrackalley at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you. And yeah. uh, thank you for covering me as I was sneezing and coughing. We, uh, <laughs> we certainly appreciate you being here with us tonight. Yeah, man. This oh, is fun. this has been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know we probably could talk for another hour at least on just some of the score elements alone, but we all have things to do primarily. I had so much. Primarily sleep. <laughs> but. I had so much I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way it is. That's the, that's the cool thing about these movies is that there's so much to talk about. And I know it's hard to talk about these these classic movies. It's like, what? why would people listen to our version of it? Well, because we have a different opinion and we have different views. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's it's good. Uh, that's it. That's our show. We are Cheap Seat Reviews. Cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com is our website. There you can find all links to all 370 other episodes that we've done. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Go there, facebook.com slash reviews at CheapSeatCast, uh, CheapSeatReviews at gmail.com. Um, that's it. That's our show. I guess I didn't technically give this a, a grade. Uh, I would give this uh, start uh, this soundtrack grade a P for perfect, I think is what I would give it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next week, of course, we are doing Return of the Jedi, and we're having a guest come back on that we have had before who is awesome, and we're excited to have her come back on the show. That's it. That's going to do it. So on behalf of Andrew, Sam, who is in Wisconsin, and Randy, this is Sean saying thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for Return of the Jedi. This is Cheap Seat Reviews.